On this episode of Data Driven, Frank and Andy interview Piero Molino, CEO and co-founder of Predabase. He is the author of Ludwig.ai. He tells Frank and Andy all about the wonderful world of declarative ML. Have a listen and happy birthday, Andy. Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emergent and now hip field of data science, artificial intelligence, and of course, data engineering. With me as always on this epic road trip down the information superhighway is Andy Leonard. How's it going, Andy? It's going well, Frank. And you know, you use the term information superhighway, which is almost as old as I am. And I bring that, that up because today is my birthday. Oh, it's so, actually today. I thought it, it is was. I thought it was Saturday. Today. No, That's it's today, and we're recording this on July twenty fourth, two thousand twenty three, and I am officially sixty years old. Well, congratulations! Yes. Sixty trips yeah. around the sun is not trivial. You know, it and it's it's weird because, like when I was a kid, people sixty years old were in wheelchairs and walking with canes and walkers and stuff like that. And now it's like we've learned, I don't know, a dozen tricks about, you know, walking every day, staying active, eating better. And I rarely see people my age now, you know, in that same situation. So it's a great day. I am uh, uh, very grateful, very thankful to be here. And I I consider this part of my birthday present, Frank. Oh, Uh, being able to interview our guest because this. This man is, I, I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this. There's so much intersection here with the work that I do as a data engineer. And I'm just super excited uh, to, to learn more about this. Our, yes, our guest today is Piero Molino. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, <laughs> he's going to talk to us about, um, uh, he's an open source contributor, uh, engaging speaker, and a leader in this space, and he can talk about the challenges that companies are facing getting AI into production and what declarative uh, ML can do uh, to reduce that. And I think it's an important inflection point as as every company in the world is trying to get on this generative AI uh, bandwagon. How do we, you know, the the realities, I think, of uh, getting something to production are, are, are sinking in. And I think we're at that, we're just about to hit that trough of disillusionment. So, um, Piero, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, guys. And happy birthday, Andy. Thank you, Piero. <laughs> um, it's been a momentous weekend for everybody. Uh, yes, in the virtual is. green mode, I will say this, there's not much I can say because of various uh, legalities and privacy laws. But there is now another child in my house. Uh, we are uh, hoping to adopt a cousin. Um, and um, so it's uh, fatherhood part three for me. Um, so it's been an interesting weekend. And uh, it's, it's it's definitely a celebrative mood, birthdays. And uh, Piero is going to be here to talk to us about um, uh, how to solve a lot of the problems that we're facing with declarative ML. So welcome to the show. And, and, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely, happy to. Yeah, I'm, again, I'm Piero and I'm the CEO of a company called Pridebase. We have been operating for a couple of years now. And um, before that, I was actually, um, you know, researcher and uh, engineer at many companies. The, my latest experience was at Uber, where I was one of the founding members of the Uber AI organization. And I worked there for about 
four years between research and applications. And um, when I was there, I created this open source project called Ludwig, which is now also um, one of the foundational technologies uh, on top of which Predibase builds its stack. And, um, you know, that technology is one, probably the first of this new breed of declarative machine learning systems and, you know, uh, made it open source and now it's used, uh, widely used in the, in the open source community. So, um, happy to talk about that too. Interesting. So, uh, Ludwig, I thought Ludwig was an automated ML system. Is it, or is that, am I getting that confused with something else? No, so the interesting thing about it is that, in particular at the beginning, I never pitched it as an AutoML uh, tool, but some people started to uh, talk about it as an AutoML tool. I think there's a um, distinction between what my aim was with it and what actually um, was the perception from people. Um, I can tell you the main difference there is that the um, intent of a declarative ML system is to actually marry the simplicity of an AutoML tool with the um, configurability of building it yourself, really. And uh, so people picked on the simplicity, uh, they didn't pick about the customizability, I will say, um, mm -hmm. but really the, the, the intent was to marry both of these characteristics, if you want. Interesting, interesting. Just joined the call. Hi, Kevin. Hi, how are you? Sorry about being late. I had a Teams issue as usual. Oh, no worries, no worries. <laughs> we are familiar with Teams issues. Um, so what is, for, for folks not familiar with the, the term, what is exactly is declarative ML? Yeah, so it's just, you know, the idea that you can use um, declarative configuration for creating your own uh, AI and machine learning pipelines. And it's similar to, you know, maybe the audience may be familiar with other tools like that, like for instance, Terraform, where instead of defining uh, your entire cluster through like building up all the machines, spawning them and all of that, you have a configuration file. That configuration file makes it very easy uh, to do and make it replicable and maintainable. And you can imagine the same kind of approach applied to machine learning, where instead of building your own models uh, from scratch, uh, writing your own training code, writing your own pre-processing code and all of that. Uh, you don't need to do it because it has already been done for you and you can just configure um, the system in the way you want, depending on the types of data that you want to use. And uh, well, at the same time, this retains also the flexibility of building it yourself because each single component uh, within the system can be extended. And so there are abstract interfaces you can implement and extend the system very easily. And then it becomes just a matter of changing one line in a configuration file to use um, a different component and basically train a completely different model for your tasks. So you marry both the simplicity of writing a configuration with the power of building it yourself. Interesting. So instead of infrastructure as code, you could theoretically have AI as code. Right, right, right. The the you know the thing the reason why I didn't I don't talk about it that way is because <laughs> uh, if you if you say AI as code, well, you it's kind of a given that you need to write some code with that. Right. But the term as code in infrastructure means something different. It means with a configuration, right? And so that is the the analogy there. Right. Okay. okay. And I could totally get you know the the power of that. Um, it's something that uh, the everything as as code has been going on for you know the 
the better part of a decade, probably a little beyond that. And um, and it, it it's nice because you can do things with the code that that you use for the infrastructure as a code. Things that you could do with what we consider more like code, more like AI or ML code, like source controlling, and we can manage them that sort of way. So. Does uh, does Ludwig manage that? Does it integrate well with source control? Yeah. So again, in the end, in practice, it's you have a file, right, associated right. with your uh, to define your um, your entire um, system, really. And so that file, obviously, you can version it. You can you can collaborate on it with people. And actually, at Predibase, this is one of the things that we do, among other things. Uh, you know, we're basically building on top of this abstraction and this open source project, and yeah. building all sorts of tools for teams to use it in the in the cloud and one of the things that we make it possible is to collaborate on it by versioning both the configurations and the artifacts that are generated like the models themselves um, and also to create lineages and look at you know the diffs of the configurations because now configurations are well depending on the complexity but it could be like anything from like sure. six lines to 50 lines of configuration and it's yeah. much easier to say to, to look at the difference between two different models with their configuration as opposed to changing thousands of lines of code between two different versions of a model. Right. right. So this this functionality you're describing now, uh, displaying diffs and all, I know that's part of some of the popular source control engines like Git. Is, are you saying that you don't use Git or that and and are you saying that you uh, that Ludwig uh, has similar functionality, but it's something you built? Right, all right. So um, in Predibase, in the platform that is built on top of Ludwig, we use Git behind the scenes and we okay. expose that functionality to users directly. But, you know, this is one of the things that we do on top of the open source. In the open source, there's no functionality in Ludwig to do that. But again, you can use other open source tools like Git to do that, right? Nice. It integrates very nicely, yeah. Interesting. So how, how much does this improve getting AI models into production? I can be like a little bit anecdotal if you want and tell you like it was sure. my experience when yeah. I was a Uber when I was developing it because um, basically this um, this idea came from my own pain of um, developing machine learning models when I was there, right? And so um, when I was there, what actually was happening is that I was involved with many of these applied projects um, where we were supporting like a production team or a product team who wanted to um, put some uh, machine learning capabilities into their applications. And um, depending on the different use cases, it could take any time between six months to, you know, 13, 14 months to go from like really zero to collect the data, to create the models, to iterate over them and improve them and to then deploy them. And um, the bad part of it is that every single time we would have to reinvent the wheel because the products were different, the data was different, and um, we would have to reinvent the wheel. But by doing that, what I noticed is that there was a lot in common among all these projects. And so if you like, it's just a general good engineering practice, like whatever is um, common, you make it into like a, a, a system or, or a framework and what is not common, you make it into a configuration, right? right? And so that was the spark that convinced me that that was a good idea. And so um, when I built it, uh, when I built Ludwig, basically what ended up happening is that I worked with some of the teams internally 
uh, at the company they wanted to create new machine learning projects and instead of being me developing them uh, over the course of a year more or less like it happened before what i did it was giving them the tool and a configuration that they could start using and that basically meant that i didn't have to be directly involved with the development and some teams like the, the, there was this, this example with the uh, uber.com um, uh, team there was a team of uh, web developers who wanted to add uh, configuration um, sorry um, a ui uh, personalization to some queries like if the query was about um, uh, like an faq then the visualization of the output would be of a certain kind or if it was about you know earnings for drivers then it would be of a different kind right sure and so they were able to like train a model for doing that on top of their queries in a couple of days and then to deploy it like a week later that functionality was in the in, in the search bar over.com so literally we went from like a year of a project into like a week end to end right so, well uh, you know um if that's the best you can do you know we'll, we'll <laughs> just have to we'll just have to make do with that i'm kidding that's amazing that that is amazing yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I think people are realizing or organizations are realizing. It's one thing to, I mean, so this is something that's come up in my day job quite a bit is, you know, this notion of how long does it take you to operationalize a model? Mm -hmm. And that's not trivial, right? And and I had this kind of, this back and forth with a customer a couple of weeks ago where they're like, well, you know, it takes us a certain amount of time to get the data and do all that. And I was like, okay, I really see that there's kind of two halves to a machine learning project right there's obviously you first you get the data and there's a whole joke we have about that that's a joke yes. but like then you create the model and then i think that the back half of it and probably arguably the more important part is getting the model in to where it needs to go right mm -hmm. and there's no good reason why that should take months or years in my mind like the, the 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 figuring out the figuring out the stuff, getting the data, and 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 kind of doing the 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 machine learning magic and the AI magic and wizardry, that I, in my mind, there's a lot you have to do to make that work, right? There's a lot of intellectual firepower that has to go there, but the the deployment part of it should be. DevOps is a well-worn path, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I know you don't like using, you know, kind of AI as you know, infrastructure as code, AI infrastructure as code, but like, you know, that, I think that by and large for the industry, that is, that part is a solved problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that we would be wise in, in, in the AI data ML space to take advantage of problems that are solved because we have plenty, Absolutely. plenty other things to keep us busy. Absolutely. Um, I cannot agree more with that. <laughs> um, well, I, I love the approach that you that you mentioned and the way you described it as reinventing the wheel um, and, and being um, an engineer. And you, you mentioned you're an engineer. That is the sort of stuff that just leaps out uh, when you're trying to create projects, especially projects that support production. Um, when you have projects, they're often siloed and that's that's not all bad. I mean, a lot of people, you know, write that off as being just terrible that you have things done in a silo. You can also get a lot of focus accomplished in a silo. And then you have someone like yourself who's kind of floating between uh, silos and you can pick out the patterns. And that's that's a thing engineers do. I mean, we, we can't help ourselves. 
And when you saw all that common functionality happening across there, building that framework was just a, I think, I think that was just an amazing thing. And the results speak for themselves. I mean, anytime you can encapsulate a project or a process rather, and, and make it configurable and take it from a year to a week or a year or more to a week. I mean, that's, that, that is just amazing. And I agree with Frank too. I think uh, a lot of this flows out of DevOps that people are starting to see. And I agree with Frank's characterization too, even though I, I know it, it raises your hackles a little bit to say as a code, <laughs> but I totally get that. I, I understand, you know, I understand both of your points. I get yours, uh, Piero, for not wanting it that way. And I don't know what other term we would come up with. And that's kind of what I wanted to go with. What would you, is there any other term or any other classification? I, I think framework, but but I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the reason that's the reason why I'm calling it a declarative ML, because those configurations are a declaration of, uh, as opposed to the code that you would have gotcha. to write imperatively to build okay. it, right? That's the reason for that. But, you know, um, yeah. I like that. I'm going to put that, I'm taking notes. Here, typing in the background is my fault. <laughs> but uh, I, I do, when, when we have, and we almost always have interesting guests, not 100%, but really, really close to 100%. I'm writing that down because we had that in the show uh, in the show title, uh, declarative ML, and I, I like that. I think that's I, I think that's a really good description, um, you know. And yeah, yeah, good stuff. By the way, I can tell you that the um, what you mentioned, like seeing the patterns across uh, projects. In my case, across teams, like in my case, was also across my own projects, and the whole thing came from uh, laziness and literally. It's uh, so it's not lazy. We're I'm an engineer too here, so we're efficient. Exactly. We're efficient. <laughs> that's right, that's Not right. lazy. Exactly. The funny thing about it is that you know uh, we create automation to do less work, but then right. creating that automation is more work than actually sometimes. Sometimes, the, yeah, this, and it you know you don't know that when you start. Right, 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 but it compounds over time, right? Compounds right. Over, over the future projects in theory, right? Yeah, all good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that, you know, when you think about, you talk about, you know, it, it's a lot of work to create the automation and you're absolutely right, but there, there's a couple of advantages to automation, right? The, the work that you come, you put into it, you'll get that time back, absolutely. right? And then the other, uh, the other advantage is, uh, is that uh, you, if you do it right, and it's tested, of course, uh, as Andy says, all software is tested. Sometimes it's first tested in production, um, but uh, all software is tested. But I mean, if you do it right and it's tested, and we make that let's make that ground assumption, you know, you you do eliminate kind of the the human error, right? Like if yeah. you can kind of make it so it's a repeatable process, you do reduce your error surface. You never get rid of it entirely because we live in an imperfect universe. Yep. But that's that's it for my philosophy. Uh, uh, dissertation for the morning. It's, it's good philosophizing, <laughs> Frank. It's, it's for a Monday morning. Yes, it is. Yes, you are rocking it today. <laughs> yes. I think it's kind of like you know. Um, it follows, in my experience at least, it follows like a logarithmic curve, where at the beginning, because it's like a more general system that factors in many different aspects, um, it may yeah. have even more defects at the very beginning. But once you solve them, then you solve them for all the different applications, right? And so gradually flattens out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I the I, I Pareto think, principle. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So the quick question then is, you know, what what 
uh, what do customers say when they see this? Do they get it right away or, or, you know, are they not at that point where they've experienced the pain yet of this or are they, cause you know, obviously the last, there's a meme going on and I've posted it. Um, and I'm sure people have probably seen it where it shows like somebody climbing, skipping over, they're climbing up a, a flight of stairs and they're jumping like three steps. And it was like the person doing it was labeled the CEO. And then the, the step that they were going straight to is generative AI. But every step that they skipped was, you know, data engineering, data quality, like, you know, process management. Like, I, I mean, it's a good time to be in terms of when the hype wave is 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 on the way up. But I mean, is this something that people, when they hear about declarative ML, you kind of explain it, they go, oh my God, yes, we need this. Or did they need some kind of explanation and background? Right, so they, they surely need some explanation. Uh, in particular, because it's kind of a relatively new concept. So, uh, but uh, I would say, in particular, with respect to like leapfrogging and getting to generative AI and things like that, um, I think there's there's two aspects there. Probably, at least in my experience, talking with our customers, um, on the one hand, there are um, companies who have experienced um, some of the pains that you know I was describing. I was experiencing. And for those companies, it clicks immediately. There's no like, <laughs> no doubt this this kind of solution is the is, is a good one for them, right? And then there are companies who, in particular now, because of the boom of generative AI in general, um, they have not experienced that pain. And what they're actually looking for, honestly, is a solution for a um, problem that they believe they have and the fastest way to get to the solution, right? Yeah. And so the fastest way to get to that solution in some cases is actually an API where you don't really need to do anything. You need to train your models. You don't need to collect the data. You don't need to do any of that, right? right. What I believe though is that, uh, and so by the way, you know, we also provide those kind of functionalities, right? If you want to get started by using a pre-trained model that was already trained on something else, you know, can definitely do it. Um, through both Ludwig and we have a 0 0.8 version um, coming out like probably next week um, that you know does exactly that, right? So it, we um, acknowledge that that is a totally legitimate um, case for companies, right? Uh, at the same time, I strongly believe that these companies after the honeymoon with the APIs, they will start to realize that they have a lot of limitations. Um, they get throttled and you know if you're building an application that is exposed to end users that definitely doesn't work right um they have to pay per query and so if they, if they grow then it becomes substantially more expensive for them um they have almost no control over the data and over the models and all of these things um it, also there are some some industries where that doesn't even like it's not even a possibility right like right in, in um, uh, regulated industries, there's not even a possibility, right? And so for all these companies, they will get to a point where they start to realize, oh, I actually need to own the stack here. Otherwise, um, I'm yeah. at the mercy of the API providers. And so for those people, I think uh, the transition from the API handholding towards um, having an entire platform that can do that for them, uh, in my mind, sounds pretty natural. But it's it's a next phase. It's next phase in my mind. Yeah. Well, I, I like the way you describe that. And, you know, what goes through my mind when I hear 
uh, you know, the options that, that you presented, your pre-trained model versus training your own model. Um, is the old engineering, um, you know, slogan, there's no free lunch. And if you are intending to skip some of the steps in Frank's analogy and just, oh, we'll just go buy this product or, or we'll do this thing. And that's nothing, nothing against the product or the time saving. It's just that there's, there's knowledge there that they're not gaining by taking this shortcut. And it's, again, shortcuts aren't bad. And it, and it will work in some instances. That'll be all you'll need to do is you just you, you pay, you get your model and it just works for you. Um, and, and I've seen this before in solutions that I mainly focus in data engineering in solutions that provide data quality or um, I won't mention the the name of the company that was selling data models um, early when when I got into data engineering and you know, and they were advertising it as an 80% solution and they were selling it for six figures US. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, the easy part of building a data model is it, it takes about a week, maybe two, and you're spending six figures on it. And there's, then they're saying, well, you have to customize it, you know, to fit your business and stuff like that. And it was a, there was another piece of software that was kind of running that same uh, sort of advertising and, and uh, you know, sales pitch. And they it worked really, really great uh, for companies that they shipped their product out to for ERP, as long as they were man manufacturing, um, you know, cars essentially in Germany. It was a great solution for that, but it was one of those things, and you've probably seen this being an engineer, is, and it's a symptom of what I call junior engineer's disease, right? Mm -hmm. And I say that because I suffered from this when I was a junior engineer, and I still every now and then fall into this. You you solve one problem, and you think you've solved them all. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, you know, and because it looks like this is what everybody needs. So what I'm hearing you say as someone who's been there and done that and worked through the kinks of this, you know, in real life at Uber, um, tell me what differentiates what you've built now with with your your new product built on Ludwig. And I'm sorry the name escapes me. I I'm going to type it as soon as you say it so that I can look at my note from now on. But tell me what differentiates that from a solution that you know people believe. Or I mean, first off, does it solve all of the problems? It may. And if it doesn't, then you know what differentiates it, and where are you in that cycle from? one solution to a solution for many things. Right, right, right. Uh, by the way, the name is PrediBase, as in prediction, pretty, and base, as in database, mm. because you're trying to ah. marry together both the- uh, In my notepad right now. I use high tech over here, by the way, notepad. <laughs> I, 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 I had the other, the LinkedIn window like up, so I kind of knew what it was. Ah. <laughs> but the one thing I want to ask here and kind of pull it back, and, and, yep. and if I pull it back too far, let me know. This sounds an awful lot like the age-old build versus buy debate, right? Doesn't it? It does. It does a hundred percent. And um, I would say, uh, I think you can have, uh, to a certain extent, a happy middle where you are buying something that helps helps you build substantially faster and better, and with okay. the better guardrails in place, right? Um, and that's basically what we're trying to do. And actually, in the you know in the spectrum, and you're saying difference between Predibase and um, other potential solutions, right? 
again, the, the two camps really are, in my mind, on one hand, the camp of build it yourself, which is like the, the, the build solution. And uh, in order to do that, um, it, it depends on what kind of company you are, right? Um, if you're a company that can hire, um, you know, the Stanford PhDs and the highly skilled um, engineers and can put them to work on the, the products of, of the company, then that is a viable solution. And, uh, but it's expensive and slow. So you need to know that, you know, it's, it's a long-term investment and you're going to have to hire several people for doing that, right? Gotcha. On the other hand, you have, again, the AutoML kind of solutions, or even the APIs in my mind to a certain extent are in the same camp in terms of their turnkey solutions without customizability. And okay. they work only as far as you are on the happy path. If something doesn't work for your use case, then you're out of luck. You can do nothing about it. And so we see ourselves as kind of like a middle ground where you have most of the customizability and most of the automation. And, um, you know, it, it makes it possible for you to um, develop an application based on machine learning that um, not, not getting stuck like yeah. we would do with an AutoML solution or with an API, um, while at the same time uh, providing most of the customizability um, okay. do it yourself. That's and where we, we, we see ourselves um, in the market. And I've heard that described as an accelerator, um, that kind of solution. Would you classify Predibase as, a, as an accelerator? Yeah, it's an accelerator. It makes it possible um, for a team to do much more, uh, much okay. faster. And it also prevents uh, from doing some, some you know, um, it, it, it kind of encapsulates good practices and so makes it makes it harder to do the wrong thing right you have to like then cycle back and and fix things after the fact right so i could i was reading your mind you were trying to not say don't it, it helps you not do dumb things that's that's <laughs> i heard that and i'm with you and that's a, you're you're trying to be a polite engineer and i you know kudos to you for that frank can back me up on this actually we can back each other up on this we're not so good at that <laughs> uh, we're impolite engineers often. So, but I, I love that description. And what I see with the two categories that you described there, with uh, companies interested in an API turnkey, um, and and other companies that you know are just going to go out and hire the best of the best, is it sounds like Predibase can actually help both. That's an interesting point. I would say, I would say yes, because. Um, the way, at least uh, my experience, the way I see it and my also observation in the market, like beyond mm -hmm. my own direct experience, is that in most organizations, in particular in larger ones, there's a um, large spectrum of machine learning related applications. Right. And you could put them on a graph and like rank them by how impactful they are in your company from like a, I don't know, like a business perspective, like a, a, a pure money impact, if you want, right? And sure. usually it's a um, it's a long tail. So you have a couple that are like very, very important and very, very valuable and many, many, many uh, smaller ones. But the smaller ones, because of the fact that um, they are uh, projected to be less impactful in e each of them, um, it's hard to tackle them because just evaluating if it's feasible or not would be right. more more expensive than, than actually the value that they could bring, right? 
And so even in organizations that are build first, usually the all the eggs are put in like the first few um, mm -hmm. um, uh, let's say elements of this of this stack rank of, of machine learning applications, which is, makes total sense. But if you had a tool that made the um, cost of trying out each different application substantially smaller, because instead of taking you a year, it's taking you a week, then you could start to tackle all the other ones. And maybe um, you will not, because again, the, the tool is super customizable, but um, there is like a degree of customizability that only building it yourself and going to the metal will give you. You don't get that, but if you have like a, let's say a native solution, but a 95 solution for all these, uh, you know, other tasks that you may not um, address otherwise, well, the integral of all these other tasks and the value that they could bring is, is, very, is very huge. And so even organizations that are built first could benefit from having like a, a, a solution like ours, right? I'm digging the math. <laughs> <laughs> that, right, that, honestly, that, that it was true at Uber. So um, at Uber, mm. that was definitely the case that there were like some, like just to make a concrete example, uh, when I was there, there was this ATG organization that was like a, a, a thousand people organization devoted only to self-driving cars. And so that was like the, 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 the stick, right? The, 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 highest, the highest bar there. But then there were yeah. all these group of other applications that were like, yeah, some of the ones that I worked on, customer support, recommender system for Uber Eats, uh, fraud detection, all these sort of things that yeah. were valuable, but not as valuable as if they got self-driving cars. That, right. that stands to reason. I mean, that's that's business. You know, exactly. That's the way it works. Yeah. Everything isn't the same. Exactly. So I, I was going to ask Frank. Uh, Frank, we I want to uh, see if this is a good spot for us to pivot and ask our questions. We have questions like, in the like chat. It's like you read my mind. <laughs> You want to go first, Frank? I will go first. Uh, how did you find your way into data? Did data find you or did you find data? Mm, interesting. I would say probably data found me, I would say. Uh, there, uh, you know, I started working in uh, machine learning. Actually, my, my first interest about it was coming from like a recommended information filtering, recommender system and um, information retrieval kind of angle. Um, when I was studying uh, uh, in, in college, I was actually there because I wanted to uh, I, I wanted, wanted to build video games. That was my original goal. But then while I was studying, I got you know that first introduction to information retrieval and recommender system and from recommender systems to machine learning at large. And uh, up until now, I haven't looked back. So I would say, that found me more than I, I, I was not coming in with with the idea of working on either data or or machine learning or anything related with that but i discovered gotcha. it along the way excellent so number two what's your favorite part of your current gig ah um i would say um I now i'm ceo of a company and it's my first experience as ceo of a company um it's different from being like a researcher and, uh, and an engineer uh, on yep. the field every day building stuff. Um, and I would say the best part of it in my mind is the fact, it, it's the best and the worst at the same time. And it is the fact that every six months, my job changes because, you know, at a certain moment in time, the priority is to hire people and so I need to figure out how to do that. 
then, uh, then the moment in time, the priority is to try to uh, market the uh, product that we're building. And another moment in time is to actually build like a new functionality. And so all of these things, every six months, more or less, my job changes and yeah. makes it possible for me to grow and have new challenges every single time. And that's the best part. It's the worst part because every single time I need to learn something <laughs> new from scratch, right? Right. But... <laughs> Exactly, they're not qualified in, I would say. Well, you know, that they have those CEO classes in the engineering curriculums. Uh, wait, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one, though. It is. It's it's a college of hard knocks. Yeah, nothing like uh, nothing like the real world to uh, train that uh, that artificial natural neural network in between your ears. Yeah, um, so we have a couple of complete the sentences. When I'm not working, um, I enjoy blank. Hmm. There's a, quite a few things that I enjoy. I would say most recently, uh, I have many hobbies and many interests, but most recently I've been reading a lot and I picked up back a um, hobby that I had when I was younger uh, that is miniature painting. The reason why I picked it up is that it's incredibly uh, relaxing and focusing for me like keeps me grounded it's something that i have to pay attention for a certain amount of time and i only pay attention to that for a certain amount of time i don't thinking about the future or thinking about anything else and that's you know really uh, soothing for me that sounds very meditative yeah yeah that, that's a kind of quality of, of, of it for me i i enjoy that too okay our second uh, complete this sentence. I think the coolest thing in technology today is blank. Uh, I would say this probably, uh, obviously, that's like, apart from what I am doing, because otherwise. <laughs> well, that, that's a given. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I say this for sure a couple of things that I think are particularly interesting. Um, one in my mind is, you know, um, part of what these new breed of uh, generative AI tools enable you to do that you couldn't do before or was really hard to do before. And in my mind, the most exciting part of it is um, building applications like a front end, if you want, that is interactive with users that makes it possible to accomplish tasks. That is, in my mind, very, very valuable. Like, you know, not only using the large language model as it is, but interacting with other components and tools. Uh, there are startups, like one paper around it that is like actually written by a good friend of mine, among others, it's called Toolformer, and you know, basically uses tools like functions, predefined functions, and combines them to actually achieve the goals. That's really exciting to me. And um, the other one in my mind is the intersection between um, computer graphics and interactive uh, media in general and machine learning. In particular, like you know, use of machine learning for simulation of visual effects or for animation. Uh, I've seen like, if you look online at the SIGGRAPH papers, there's all sort of a new breed of animation technologies that are using machine learning uh, behind the scenes. That makes for like a very, like if you look at the sports games, for instance, now the animation that was like super clunky a few years ago, now it's very, very, very good because of that at least. The next generation will be very, very good because of that. So, cool. Yeah, that's interesting. You're starting to see a lot more of that augmented reality kind of used in sports. And uh, I remember when they did that with hockey originally. Um, oh, this would have been maybe 15, 20 years ago. 
they they made this whole big deal where they had two trailers of just servers like processing the information in real time and i bet now you could probably get that on on the recent iphone like that <laughs> level of compute you know maybe not one iphone but like you certainly wouldn't need two trailers filled with um spark servers and stuff like that like it is um, possible in the meantime you know also the kind of things that they are doing are more advanced. So yes, still need, yes, still need yes. the trailer, I guess, but with different hardware inside the trailer. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, for, for those that may not remember, but there was this huge deal when um, I forget what channel in the states got the National Hockey League uh, contract, and they would, um, I guess, one of their one of the feedback they heard about hockey was that it was hard for viewers to watch where the puck was. So they basically had this real time overlay of like where the puck was so but they they eventually stopped doing it for one it was computationally and uh prohibitively expensive and two it annoyed like the real long time hockey fans who were the core audience so it was uh it wasn't a technical fail it was a market fail um but uh our last complete the sentence is i look forward to the day when i can use technology to blank that's a very interesting one. Let me think for a second about it. I would say, uh, um, you know, there are some very trivial things um, that are still very difficult to do. Uh, and as technologists, you think, well, I mean, we have all the ingredients for doing those things and they should be easy, but in practice, they are not for some reason. And uh, I mean, apart from the 2020 and 2021, I would say, I usually travel quite a lot. And every single time uh, that I try to go from point A to point B, there is still uh, a lot of uh, friction in connecting the dots between the different, you know, means of transportation. And I, I, I'm still looking forward the moment where I can say, I'm here, I want to be there this time of the day, two days from now, how do I, how do, I do that? Using flights, trains, car, any combination, public transportation, any combination of things. Uh, that sounds trivial in practical, in 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 theory, because you know uh, we have information about all of these things independently, and we have a, right. uh, the mechanism for doing the routing and for doing all the other things. But for reasons probably beyond tech, we don't uh, we don't do that. We don't have a system like that right now. And so you know, uh, I would say the short answer is I will want to have that kind of experience, but I still don't have it. So. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, our sixth point is uh, share something different about yourself, but we remind all our guests it's a family show. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I think I think by by sharing my you know hobby of miniature painting, it was already like pretty close to that. I guess um, maybe something else other than that. Um, I would say maybe like a, um, a fun thing is that I've, um, uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was from, I'm, I'm originally from Southern Italy, 
there's basically no snow in southern Italy. Uh, but when I was a kid, I was like a junior champion of skiing because those few times that I would go to the mountains with my dad, I was really good at it. And then I never, I never followed up on it. But yeah, I was ski champion as a kid. That's Very a good cool. One. Very yeah. cool. Uh, Audible um, is a sponsor of Data Driven. Do you do audiobooks? And uh, if you so, what would you recommend? I do a lot, actually, of audiobooks. Oh, cool. I'm, 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 I have like the super premium account on Audible because nice. you know I, I, I definitely read, listen to more than one book uh, a month. Like sometimes, some months, even, even, even four, depending on, 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 on how much time do I have. Um, there's so many great books there. Um, I would say one book recommendation, but I, I don't really think that it is on Audible, honestly. A book that I always recommend because I think it's super important and super impactful is called Why Greatness Cannot Be Planned by Joe Lemon, uh, Joe Lemon and, and Ken Stanley, who were like two former colleagues of mine at Uber. Um, it's like a, a really eye-opening book about the um, fact that setting goals um, uh, like reaching out the path to reach the goals is not does not look exactly like a straight line and you need to take detours and there's like a, a mechanism behind it and they uh, talk about it and explain it which is amazing and then maybe i would say a book that for sure is an audible because i've been <laughs> i have it in my library uh, it's called uh, four thousand weeks and by oliver berkman and it's an amazing book that also it's um, has been eye-opening for me, and is about the relationship between like humans and time, and mm. how uh, in particular uh, time was perceived in the past and in the modern industrial society, and how you know uh, we can potentially reclaim some ownership of it. Interesting. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Audible is a sponsor. Uh, Audible is a sponsor of uh, Data Driven, and uh, if you go to thedatadrivenbook.com, uh, you'll get one free book on us. And if you choose to continue with the subscription, which I highly recommend you do, I am also a heavy user of Audible. Um, uh, it's a great way to kind of feed your mind while you're in the car or at the gym or washing dishes or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and we'll get like a, you know, maybe enough to buy a cup of coffee. Who knows? Um, <laughs> help support this show. And That's finally, uh, in addition to uh, everything else we've heard, where can people find out more about you and what Predibase is up to? Yeah, so um, we have our you know company website called Predibase.com. There's a bunch of stuff, including like a description of the product, some demos, videos, a blog post that we put out. So there's plenty of information there. Um, um, I have also like a, a personal website that contains some stuff about me personally that is not like Predibase related, is Wanderlust, wanderla.st with okay. four instead of the A. That's my own personal website. But you can find me like on all social media, on, on, on in particular on, on Twitter and LinkedIn. These are the two main ones that, I, that I'm using these days. Um, I'm a little bit more of a lurker than a poster. I should change that, but... Um, yeah, the, the, sometimes I post. I only post things that I really think are valuable and important. Uh, so uh, I'm low, low, n low quantity, hopefully high quality kind of post. <laughs> there you go. The world needs more of that. 
Um, <laughs> so with that being said, I want to thank you for your time. And um, I encourage folks to go check out uh, what you've been doing over at Predibase. And uh, we'll let Bailey finish the show. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Have you checked out Data Driven magazine yet? We are looking for writers for the autumn 2023 issue. Thanks for listening and be sure to rate and review us on whatever podcasting app you are listening to us on.